Sisters podcast with Nicole and John Ellen. Hello, Radical friends, and welcome to another episode of the Radical Awareness podcast. In this episode, we are talking to the wonderful Sarah Spence and delving into her journey towards awareness, covering all sorts of wonderful topics. Sarah is another guest who has their own podcast. Hers is called Unraveling Midlife, where she explores the midlife stage in astrological terms uh, and speaks to others about their experience and the tools they've used to walk through midlife with grace and awareness. She is a classically trained singer, having studied music at university among other things and alongside her current work with astrology and the midlife podcast she also runs dreamwork sessions and she facilitates the using the tools from yasodhara yoga and the dalian method for crystal clear inner clarity so Sarah facilitates the Dalian Method private sessions for those who want to transform repressed thought forms and emotions that create negative symptoms, whether physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual. And there's some links to the Dalian Method stuff in the show notes here, as well as links to Sarah's website where you can access some of her albums, some of her kirtan, and you can get in touch with her through the website. So as you can imagine... There is plenty to talk about, but that's enough talking about what we're about to talk about. Let's get this episode underway. All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Radical Awareness Podcast. We have a very special guest on the show today. Someone we've known a long time. Yes. Yes. The, the beautiful, wonderful Sarah Spence, who's here today to chat to us about her awareness journey. Um, Sarah also has a podcast. It's still in its youth also as ours. It's nearly a year old called Unraveling Midlife. So she has been delving into those conversations a lot also recently. But we know her through our uh, yoga connection and she has uh, been with us for the purpose of teaching people about kirtan and leading kirtan and all of the wonderful things that come with the realm of bhakti yoga. She has a very beautiful voice and holds a very magical space. If you haven't um, done kirtan with Sarah, I highly recommend it. It's very, very, very special. So we're really grateful we've had those experiences in person with you, Sarah, because it's always very special. And you're, you're trained in singing as well, is that right? Yeah, I studied classical voice kind of part-time through like high school, university, and then in my 20s. Mm. It really adds to the um, experience. It does. <laughs> but uh, we'll start as we pretty much always do with the, the, the question about you. And can you tell us about your journey to awareness, your journey greater to greater awareness. awareness? I found the phrasing quite interesting, the journey to awareness, uh, because where is awareness? Where is it a destination? And I, I personally don't think so. And it's an ever-evolving uh, beast sometimes, um, roller coaster, <laughs> a nice slide down the playground sometimes because that's life. Um, it, it, it is up and down and yeah, my, my podcast Unraveling Midlife, just the title kind of, um, it's life is unraveling, the journey mm. to awareness is kind of, I guess, unraveling ourselves, uh, unraveling myself, gaining more awareness about life and emotion and other things that kind of come through and creating more observation of that mm. rather than identification with it. Mm. Doesn't mean I feel like I'm any good at it, even though I sound quite confident. I'm like the <laughs> witness part of me is going, wow, you sound like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 
because I woke today and I was like, I feel really melancholy today. What's what's the point of my life again? You know, like that's yeah, yeah. the kind of stuff that that happens and we don't necessarily talk about. And and I know that uh, that I have a tendency to want to go. Oh, but everything's okay. Um, so I guess that is part of my journey to awareness is starting to become aware of that and being able to move through it towards more self-acceptance and I believe that that's what midlife is about. Probably should uh, add in there that the midlife that I'm talking about unravelling is related to astrological midlife. So whereas especially as you get older, your definition of midlife kind of pushes out and pushes out and and I did have someone say is your podcast about menopause and I'm like no (laughs) no my podcast is not about menopause I mean occasionally it comes up because I do like to interview um wise women who have been through midlife themselves um so occasionally it comes up but really astrological midlife is um those four transits of the planets coming into interaction to where they were in your birth chart. So it happens for everyone from the mid-30s to mid-40s. It might start at 35 for someone and 37 or 38 for someone else. It might finish at, I don't know, 43 or 45. Mine, I'm in the middle of the four, these four transits. Um, I'm 43, but my kind of biggie isn't actually until next year. So mine goes out a little bit later than some mm. other people's. And it just depends because some planets move faster than others at different times. Um, it's quite fascinating, but that's my astrological geek coming out. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The journey to awareness, I guess, for spirituality and awareness started for me when I read the Celestine prophecy when I was 16. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people started off in that if they found that in the um well, ever since the mid-90s when it came out. Uh, And then once I went to university, finished university, I ended up uh, working over in Canada as a hiking guide (laughs) with Japanese tourists. But I also, I found a yoga ashram over there and that's where my journey with um, chanting uh, continued. I was also studying classical voice and I found chanting at this ashram and we chanted every night in the Temple of Divine Light, which is in Yashodra Ashram in Western Canada. And I didn't know what we were chanting. It was all the Sanskrit. What does this mean? Though we did chant in English as well. Well, it's more like singing. It just felt to me like singing. And Mm. there was something about that. And then I went to live in Ottawa to do some work. And I lived in a place run by a teacher from the ashram. And I used to wake up to her chanting every morning. It was quite magical. And that's when I got involved with uh, with Kirtan, but we called that Bhajan, and it wasn't until I'd lived overseas and other places, looked at a few other ashrams, and come back to New Zealand. I'd lived in the ashram in Canada for a year uh, before I came back, and I was in the, we called it the Elastic Band, playing in the temple with, with the Bhajans. <laughs> um, and when I came back to New Zealand and got involved with a kind of a cousin tradition here, um, that was Kirtan as we know it in Auckland with kind of simple call and response and yeah really getting into that kind of speeding up and and less kind of churchy sweet which was what we used to sing at the ashram in Canada so yeah with that yoga background and starting to have that awareness and music brought so much reflection because by then I'd done At university, I'd started teaching myself guitar because I did a music paper, which was the best, best, best. I studied IT and Japanese, so (laughs) the music paper was really cool. (laughs) Um, And and then writing music, so songwriting as well, as playing the kirtan and then getting involved uh, with other groups doing kirtan. There was one in, in Hamilton uh, that they're still there and I actually did some chanting with those guys the last couple of weekends. Um, uh, yeah, just singing just makes makes me happy. Mm. And so the added bonus of the layer of Sanskrit, these really sacred sounds that have had scientific experiments to show effects Mm. on sand, for example, is some research that's been done. 
really is hugely uplifting. And uh, Swami Shivananda of Rishikesh, who was kind of the grandfather of the couple of traditions I've been involved in, always said that Sankirtan, singing Kirtan, is the fastest way to enlightenment. Mm. Um, especially yeah. in India, where there were, historically were a lot of people who didn't necessarily read or write. Mm. I do have quite... I'm kind of rekindling um, a passion at the moment for doing the more wordy Sanskrit chants because they oh, have cool. a different effect and there's a mm. certain point where they click in and I go, oh, it's like when you're doing a yoga class, I found about 20 minutes, my nervous system goes, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true. I accept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm finding that again with the chanting, uh, so that's been really cool. Yeah, so the journey to awareness through through the kind of yoga, living in the ashram in Canada, I went to India, uh, didn't live extended time in India, I wasn't that keen on getting sick, I did spend some time in a couple of ashrams in Australia as well, um, and then moved off from yoga towards flower essences, the medicine woman of school of shamanic and esoteric studies, um, wow. where I still do some courses, so more the western, as well as having immersed earlier in the eastern. Um, got into astrology, started uh, learning that. Uh, that kind of came off into unraveling midlife, the podcast. Uh, yeah. And at the same time, I've been really getting into um, an amazing healing methodology called the Dalian Method, uh, which is a self-healing mm -hmm. method that you can actually work on yourself to kind of shake out uh, the core beliefs that have kind of impacted in different areas um, of the body, but also impact emotional, mental as well. And uh, yeah, worked with the creator and learning the facilitation of that as well. So as that in sounds... shake out, as in like actually using your body to shake, like sort of trauma That is part of it. Yeah. 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 That is definitely Amazing. a part of it. Mm, yeah. It is. Absolutely. It's very embodied. It's not a talking therapy. It's not an energy work. It's a, uh, transforming and she can actually see the thought forms in people's yeah. bodies yeah. so she created a method from her background in um, more active meditations and through the chakra system through breathing mm -hmm. through um, expressing to kind of slough off those layers and honestly like people have had incredible incredible results both mm. physically for me it's been more kind of like mental emotional uh, mm. I had really bad PMS and I've always struggled with it um, and Ooh, I've went to her and yeah I know <laughs> talking it's not it's not menopause but there's a PMS um, yeah. but, <laughs> but I, they got to a point where I had this awareness and I'm like this isn't me what is going on I'm mm. it's not me this is it feels like something's just invading me for um, oh, a week every yeah. month and I was like I've had it I'm willing to try anything and uh, a friend I'd worked with in Canada had mentioned the Dalian method a while ago years ago and I was like oh yeah here's another thing um, but then I was actually ready to go okay I'm ready to try it now and she told me her experience and her mother who's uh, cancer results like her recovery from having a blood transfusion as part of that was incredible so okay I'm ready to try it and I tried it uh, and she said okay here's your homework there's always homework got to yeah. got to integrate into your life and she said in four months time um, it, sh it should have lifted and I was like okay four months well I'm not used to that used to going to a session with someone and they go oh yeah there you go but then you feel a bit better and nothing really kind of changes so true and I found until I had that experience of at three months going, nothing's really changed. And at four months, oh my God, it's gone. And I've never had it come back. I mean, I, had, I still get PMS, but it's like, I get a bit grumpy. Like, it's like normal PMS. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And did yeah. you just have a lot of physical pain? Is that what no, we're talking? No, that wasn't. More just like mine a was um, a mental, emotional thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's just so interesting to hear you say those really words is. because yeah. in my own journey of this, I've always said, this is not me. I feel like I'm being, it's just bizarre to hear yeah. that, you know, the, the, the connection of what that is and, and talking about kind of the thought forms around it and the sort of collective pain that we're all carrying. And it does, I feel like as it's coming, it's like something else is coming through me and then I have to experience this, yeah, horrendous pain and, and um, everything each month. So really interesting to hear that and the, the correlations yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely it's a it's a group experience 
when um, when someone someone in the house is in pain, right? It it really it, it affects more than just um, the human who's in pain. It's it's really it's debilitating for the for the whole. Um, so it's such a gift to be able to to be able to, to to take awareness to that and kind of transform it. It's interesting the way like it is a huge part of like of our awareness journeys is mm. the kind of it's the discomfort right it's the pain that we've experienced and then we go and do those things and try them and then it opens up our perception and our world again which then opens up our awareness again and it's kind of like fascinating um, how we label things and I know for my own journey of, the, of pain and, and the discomfort of it all and all the directions it takes you and the amount of times it's like this will be the thing that makes it go away or changes it and it's like I get so hopeful and then there's like a shift and then you're looking for all of the subtle movements and changes but in the same way as it, it might still come back but then there's a whole different um version of reality because the awareness has changed again and we like to refer to it being like a spiral you know we're always Uh going around a spiral and the spiral is going up and changing but your perception on all of the things you were kind of given to experience sort of changes so it's yeah it's all really very interesting Mm. I've always thought of that as a spiral for sure like you get the same issue and you're like oh here it is again but I do see it slightly differently yeah (laughs) (laughs) I am a little bit wiser And we're eternally optimistic, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So as you are now, you know, in your life, what when it comes to kind of our awareness or whatever we call it, you know, being more spiritual or awake or awakened, whatever it is, what do you find are like your tools and practices? Obviously, we've spoken about singing, and I think that sound, you know, sound, singing, vibration, chanting, and we can look at that idea of somatics is so powerful. But do you kind of have things that you do daily, or is it more like a, you sort of tail your tools, tail? Tailor. Tailor, thank you, your tools (laughs) to um, when you need them, you know, depending on, like you say, you woke up this morning and things aren't feeling so good, and that kind of feeling of, oh my gosh, what's the purpose of my life, which I also very much relate to. I think, well, I think there's a theme right now with the state of current events that that's kind of yes. across the board Agreed. for yeah. everyone in a slightly different way from a slightly different angle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would love to just sit here and say, well, you know, ever since I started my daily practice of two sun salutations and then got into mantra that I've been so good and I've sat down every single morning and done I mean there was a show I remember being on the plane back from India and I was doing a daily mantra practice and I was trying not to fall asleep so I could finish my mantra practice with my mala sitting on Singapore <laughs> Airlines um, and then I re- beat myself up about the fact that I fell asleep and I didn't finish it <laughs> um, but I think the reality is that life is life and at the moment, I have a, a daily practice. Yay! Mm. But there's been a Yay. long time where I've felt like it wasn't really a daily practice, but it, it, it kind of was, but maybe it wasn't. And then if I did like, oh, but three times a week, I did like an hour and a half something. That kind of, there's, the mind is a tricky, tricky thing. So at the moment, yes, but does that mean it will be every day for the rest of my life I, I somehow doubt it mm. yeah so I mean I, I guess it's just actually when you first started talking about the awareness journey and and getting into spirituality and things I guess I, I got jaded at a point and I felt yeah. like you know there was the first flush of oh oh this is incredible and then life keeps going and life keeps going and then I see these people that come to conscious festivals for example and they're brand new and they're so excited about oh, this amazing. that and the other <laughs> and they're like oh tell me about blah 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 and I go uh-huh well I've been coming for 15 years um <laughs> Yeah, um, I've seen a lot of people <laughs> come and go. I've seen these festivals start up. I've taught Kirtan to someone who's started one of these festivals. You know, it's it's a different, <laughs> very different perspective um, to the people that are coming in, like all, all fresh. And I remember back, I don't know how many years ago, maybe it's about 12 years ago, someone in 
a similar position to me saying, oh, finding it so hard to do my daily practice and I haven't done it for ages and thinking, oh my God, she doesn't do her daily practice. I can't ever imagine that happening to me. That's <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful, you know. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Like, life is life and I'd, I'd love to be one of those people who could just go, oh yeah, I, I, when I stress out, I go and practice. I'm still working on that. Sometimes, yes, but other times, you know, I'll be right into that packet of chocolate biscuits, you know, so. <laughs> and I would just, I'd love to meet the person who really does every time go to the practice, you know, yeah. this, it is, I think it is just such a, a whole lot of spiritual bypassing and that it's like this kind of shiny, all I ever do is my practice. I never lean into anything else because I'm in the, it's like the, um, the superiority, super, yeah. <laughs> superior complex. Superiority you complex. You said it right the first time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in the um, spiritual world, you know, of like, well, we're better because we, we've done these things mm. as opposed to, it's, it is just life, right? Like we're all kind of navigating and I just love hearing you talk about it because I remember I was exactly the same you know came in I'm like daily practice and I'm just this is my diet and these are my things and and the same thing you meet these other people who are kind of like oh yeah and you're like well you obviously haven't found the right practice you know <laughs> <laughs> and now it's hilarious is it even in like the recent weeks I was like oh my gosh I'm practicing like yoga asana like maybe once a week I can't even believe I'm saying it you know and I was like, it's more often than me. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and I taught regularly for like yeah. six years. Oh, that's only because John's teaching a class that I attend, you know. Like, <laughs> and this moment of, you had these stages, right, of reflection of, but why was I doing it initially? And I'm like, no, there was a point that I started and I had, the, you had this amazing euphoric experience. And then it's kind of like, it becomes complacent or you're doing it because you've made yourself do it. And then it's lost the sacredness of everything. And then we start to exactly judge and project onto others. And when you're teaching yoga, like I said, or running trainings, there's this expectation and then it sort of falls away. And so then you're in your own guilt spiral, right? Because everyone projects it onto you, what you're doing. And you're like, yeah, yep. I'm meditating all the time. I'm not at all. And, uh, and then just even in the last like week, I was like, oh no, I do want to practice asana each morning, even just for half an hour. Like I actually think I'm a better person and then, you know, starting it again in a different way, but it is like that spiral. And I think the greatest thing about it is the humility. To me, you have so much humility and we've seen you at many festivals and things and you always have so much humility, so much grace. It's never felt, you know, this kind of egoic, um, mm. I've been doing all these things. You don't have to have it all signposted all, all over you. And it's kind of one of the most beautiful qualities about you is that you are just in your life and human and exploring. And the word I think is unraveling, right? Like unraveling what's there, but with this, this natural grace of like, I'm not anything different to anybody else. These are my experiences and this is what I'm, I'm working with. So it's, I think it's a really valuable conversation for a lot of people to hear and to understand because, you know, even if you've just been in it for a few years, this is when you start putting that pressure. And then there's a grief cycle. Did you notice that, that first mm. sort of wave of grief? Can you talk to that at all? Mm. <laughs> just, what were, the things, what were yeah. the things that you grieved? Like what was the, was it the experience afterwards? Was it the fact that you weren't in the same routine? Was it? You weren't the person you thought you were gonna be. I think what springs to mind was, and while you were talking before, is that people putting others on a pedestal. Mm. And I remember the first time I put a teacher on a pedestal and it didn't meet my expectations. And mm. I was going through a rough time. I was after the GFC. I'd been to India. There just wasn't any work. Like, like really good workers were all on the dole. Like it was mm -hmm. 2009. And, um, and I was teaching a few yoga classes, thank goodness, or I might have become an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that had crossed my mind. <laughs> um, so... So I wasn't seeing things particularly clearly, um, but I did recognize that when, that I'd put someone on a pedestal and that that person was human. And then later on, I realized that I could see some other people putting me on a pedestal. 
So mm. I've always tried, wow, tried. Um, yeah, I've always used humour and maybe not being as holier than thou in a lot of situations because since then I don't want people mm. to kind of have unrealistic expectations. I mean, possibly, quite possibly that happens anyway. Um, but everyone's got their own journey with that. So, mm. yeah, I think there was a point where I stopped teaching yoga so much and a lot of my friends were people that used to be yoga teachers. Um, yeah, the, the, and then the switch in the last few years since I moved out of Auckland and there wasn't – I would have had to have been very, very focused – to start to to teach it's, it's never been my full-time thing or my I, I love it mm. but I did quite enjoy the few years where I covered for my friend once a month that worked really well for me yeah. um, and then I moved out of Auckland and I barely taught and now I've realized I don't even identify as a yoga teacher anymore and it was such a big part of my identity so I think identity really comes into it mm. who we identify as and for a long time, it was it was Kirtan. I was in a, a music group, uh, Shakti Sacred Music, that was about six years. Um, and it was just before Kirtan started to like boom in Auckland. So now a lot of the people that practice Kirtan have no idea, never heard of Shakti, don't know who me and the other people who were who in there. Like it's, you know, we've kind of faded into the amazing history of um, especially female Kirtanists in Auckland mm. of who there are an amazing, I am, um, I interviewed Joshna Latrobe on my podcast and she, she's been singing Kirtan in Auckland since the 80s. Wow. wow. You know, like. Yeah, and, yeah it's like, and who is that? Yeah. And, and my, and the, last, the last one to come out was with Karen Hunter. Like people know her as a musician, but she mm -hmm. also did quite a bit of chanting at um, that Ashtanga, the Auckland Yoga Academy, the Ashtanga oh, place yeah, in town, yeah. um, probably just before I came back from overseas. So we've all kind of, there's, there's been lots, there's a, we should do a documentary on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We really should because it has been a little bit derailed let's say and definitely has a different um vibe which you know i'll park here a lot of people who are listening know my feelings on this and uh yeah so the last um last month or so i've been going and playing um kirtan with uh with kailash who runs srinivasa yoga house in hamilton and it's it's tiny like he, he mm. it's his house he opens it up for classes he spent a lot of time in india um and he comes from this incredible musical family um like his brother was professional cellist and uh, he's got a sister that's a professional singer they were all well his niece mm. who was in shakti with me <laughs> um, yeah. but um we love playing music together he's an excellent drummer he's got a great voice we're just singing together with him we both really really enjoy it and it's such a small little thing but it's quite different i think because of the indian tradition like there's I mean sure we still sound western like we try our best with Sanskrit pronunciation but that can be quite tricky mm. um I mean he's lived in India for a while um I've tried my best with the with the like if there's an N with a dot underneath and a thing an N with a thing on top and like you know the same like there's, there's four <laughs> different types of S's um yeah. <laughs> all, all of those that. tongue positions all, all those tongue positions where I did a course once and went wow I don't even feel like I can try and say or chant Sanskrit anymore because I know that I'm mucking it up. Um, and then I kind of see someone doing something live on Facebook and they're having a great time and introducing heaps of people to chanting and that's fabulous. And I just go, oh, it just sounds a bit rock for me. Like mm. it's what's, why, why is it different? It just doesn't have that same kind of Indian-y kind of quality. And it's not that I'm hard mm. want to like kind of like that bit in the middle where it's a little bit Western, a little bit Indian. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just a feeling. Um, yeah. It I just mean, matches it some people and doesn't for others. Like, yeah. yeah. It is, it is hard. I mean, there's, you know, there's this real sacred aspect to it. I don't know for myself or us in our experience of partaking, because we would never lead, we're really not singers. Um, <laughs> it is such an inward journey, right? And, you know, so much Kitan, there is this, there is a very much um, connected community vibe to it, but it's very 
internal. Like for me, I really don't want to interact with anybody else if I'm at Kirtan, but I want to be around people. But it's such an inward experience and such a heart. I mean, it's so bhakti. It's such a heart-centered experience of just... I don't think there's anything else that has exploded my heart as much as chanting in that way with others. But in some circles, it is it seems more about what everyone is doing and it seems a little bit more external. And it kind of feels like what you're talking about is the difference between how can we be together and still be here and then how are we together? But it's about being out here and look at what I'm doing and where I'm at. And I guess that also just is a reflection of where different people are on their journeys, you know, of that as we come into this kind of spiritual world, it is still external. It is still based on external validation because that's the world we're unraveling from. That is the conditioning that we've existed in of like, no, but my validation is out here. And even though as we're seeking and we're sort of um, curious about these other practices, we're still trying to get it out here. And then over time you're like, I think it's all in here, right? Like this is the magic. This is where I want to be. And so maybe it is, I have thought about some of the, the, the Kirtan scenes that exist currently and some of the yoga movements that exist in, in New Zealand and Auckland as, as the bridge, right? Of coming out of that kind of external world into the more internal experience where you realize that it's just here and it's actually the path of humility but to look at some of the ways it's presented right now, it seems the complete opposite to humility. And without actually, it's not necessarily judging or saying it's bad. It's just like an intermediate step towards coming home to here, you know, like that level of awareness. That's what it feels like to me and kind of what I feel like I'm hearing from you. But And it seems like historically that is the role of the festival. That seems like what happened at Woodstock, if we could call that the kind of the, the birthplace of this movement connected to connecting yoga to the festival vibe, that that was what it was all about, this bridge into spirituality for these people who come to see rock music, especially in the case of Woodstock, and then they get a, they get a sermon from a Swami, they get this, this little bit of a peek into the spiritual world and they go, hey, maybe I can walk in that direction, maybe it is acceptable for me to be a white person in this world and start walking in that direction. And that the unfortunate addition from this perspective of social media and seeing everything via imagery and photography is that there's a real effort to portray it from a visual perspective so often because people are staging photographs, people are promoting themselves with photographs, and then everyone arrives thinking they need to portray themselves as this image and then are constantly checking on their image and then maybe get image and presentation of image obsessed. It mm. seems to be, that's something that I personally notice, particularly attached to the festival scene. Thoughts and feelings here? Yeah, that's an interesting one, seeing that I don't necessarily come from that, like I've never been that great on doing the social media and getting the the photos, um, I often find, you know, after 15 years of um, being involved in conscious festivals, there was kind of like a, a high point where I seemed to feature in quite a few photos. And then maybe I wasn't friends with the photographers after that. And it's kind of lucky if I kind of like see myself in the corner. Um, <laughs> it's having a conversation with us the other day with a few people. Um, it just happened to coincide with probably around that time where um, where I hit about the 35 mark and I stopped being featured in the photos. I mean, I might just be... be no, I love well, this correlation. I think it's very valid. Well, it might have been a little later than that, but um, I did kind of find that interesting now looking back, especially with the whole unravelling midlife um, mm. and midlife astrological transits. I'm like, mm, okay, that's interesting. And, and exploring that youth worship culture that we have as well. And, and I've noticed that in the Conscious Festival scene, um, it has become a lot younger. When I got into the Conscious Festivals, I was, I don't know, 27. And I was really, really young <laughs> for mm. the scene that was there at Prana Festivals at the time. Mm. Um, in terms of... In terms of um, of, of Kirtan, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a feeling. You're attracted to something, or you're not. I do find that there's that there's some that is um, 
that's really popular right now that's very, very, you know, there's, there's basics, almost sounds like Christian rock, but in Sanskrit. Mm. Yeah. There's yeah. that. Um, and it's not to say that it's not respectful and inward and hard. It's just not, it just doesn't gel on, on some point. I also do find the groups um, that seem to have dogma attached um, aren't my cup of tea either. Like if mm-hmm. I'm, I prefer to have an all comers kirtan where anyone can contribute what they want. Um, but there are some people go, no, you have to do these specific mantra. And it, it just feels a bit fundamentalist for, for what I like. And, and they're more than welcome to do what they will, but it's not really my scene. Mm. Mm. We like mm. that. We, that, that uh, we have this phrase we use a lot in our teach trainings. It's one of our principles. It's called inclusion to empowerment. Mm. And that if you start from this place of inclusion, you're much more likely to reach more people and lift more people up rather than exclusion to disempowerment. Mm. Mm. It's hard though, you know, like with um, these types of practices and, and yoga and, you know, the sort of dance and balance of honoring tradition and respecting tradition and lineage and understanding all of these things. And so it becomes quite a complex discussion or even understanding and so it is about honoring just what feels right like being able to trust our own which is why why awareness is so imperative and important because you're filtering it through yourself you're then like well I can just discern and I don't necessarily need to discredit anything else Mm -hmm. I just know it's not for me but I think for a lot of people when you're first entering into the world it's so confusing because it's like well what's traditional and you kind of trust whatever you hear and then the more you study the more you understand it's like well it's not as black and white as that (laughs) and the traditions and lineages of yoga as all three of us know very well is very complex and so when I hear people who have been there for you know two years being like well this is the tradition I'm like okay maybe right I hear you and I know that your own low self-worth and journey is kind of leaning into the fact that you need tradition to feel okay with what you're doing but actually if you learn to stand here you can take these parts and still offer it in an inclusive way so it's but that in itself right is so much learning and so much awareness to get there and, and we all want to be like no but there's this tradition that makes us feel safe and secure to know um but yoga lineage is a curious one. Can I pack something onto I that just... before you go? Is can you also, and maybe they connect and maybe they don't, talk about the the moment, the thing that happened that brought your teacher down off the pedestal for you? Like what was the oh, thing? Double barrel question. What Look, was the she's... thing that brought them down? And do those things relate that maybe they don't, but um, um... <laughs> <laughs> That teacher who was also a friend, just in general, has an inability to say no and will talk around the point and around the point and around the point. And I think that's just specific to that person that just can't say no straight out. Um, and, And yeah, it has driven me mad a few times in the interim, but I've just come to accept that's just that person and how they work. So, um, yeah. Maybe that wasn't so much of a teacher thing, but that I put my friend on a pedestal who happened to be my teacher. That that may have been that. Um, Other pedestals I feel that I've observed is I prefer um, female teachers. I've seen a lot of male yoga leaders fall off. um, And yeah, um, and be accused of a lot of abuse. Um, So... Um, hashtag not all men, but I have always personally felt more comfortable with mm. with female teachers because there's not that kind of um, it's a man hormonal kind of difference yeah. between um, men. I think the 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 trap for the male having taught young men yoga in our teacher trainings and watch this interesting <laughs> thing happen is that there's a real kind of take action masculine drive that sits in behind something that is so it's such a narrow band of um walking this line that's so easily derailed into ego into very um kind of the power of this new thing that they've learned that they want to share becomes this power that's so easily 
held over people. And then if you're not doing the self-awareness game on a regular basis and checking yourself and having people check you back, um, then then you you don't recognize it in yourself. And I think so often, I was actually, I used to teach um, at another studio and one of the students was talking to me about a teacher that we had trained who was a man, who she had been to his classes and she kind of was talking about him in this, ah, it's nice, like, he thinks he knows what he's talking about and everybody knows that he doesn't because he's so new, but we all just let him get away with it and it's okay. And I think this is the, this is the issue because that person wasn't going, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. They were just letting him have his time. I have observed, and not just me, I discussed this with, with other female yoga teachers, that there is an inherent bias in our society that that men are, you know, they're doing their best, but women, oh, well, they're not doing very well at all. And they might've done yeah. exactly the same thing. So we've Agreed. got this inherent bias in society um, where male, let's say yoga teachers, everyone goes, oh, they're so amazing. And so I go, okay, I'll go and check out this class. Oh yeah, it's good, but there's, you know, equally good, if not better, other yoga teachers that happen to be female. And I'm like, so why were people fawning over this male yoga teacher? And it's, I can think of a couple of different examples. Yeah. Like, is it just because they were they were men and, and as women, the women grow up going, well, men are, are better? And it just, it's never said like that, but it's just inherent. And I know that we've come a long way from... Um, where we were before, but it's a process. We're um, journeying to awareness on this topic as a society, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think that just in general, if you look at like even pop music, I don't know, I prefer female vocals. And yeah, mm-hmm. there's some great female singers, but in general, the music people play around is often male vocals. Like, mm-hmm. I, I haven't done a scientific study. That's just my <laughs> personal anecdotal observation. Yeah. I think another interesting thing on that is the, um, the teacher, the, like, the school teacher, the primary school teacher in particular, that so many of um, my friends who are male who have studied and to become a primary school teacher – they're, they're set, right? They're like, oh, you're a male teacher. You're guaranteed to get a job because there's just not very many of you. So you're like rarer. So all of a sudden you're better because you're male. So it's just the rarity, the scarcity elevates someone to something more than what they are just because of the scarceness of it. Even if it's not really that scarce, there's just a perception of scarcity. They're so right. We just do not hold, I mean, I just want to speak into yoga. Like it's like, we just do not hold the male teachers as accountable as the females. It's, I mean, we've had many conversations with men where I'm like, (laughs) you can either like get humble right now or you're going to go off and become a dickhead like that's I have literally said those things <laughs> or it'll people. happen in the other order you're going to go off and become a dickhead and then you might get humble I have seen it there you. are teachers very well and I've said this to these people and then watched it happen and you're just like it, it's nearly like unavoidable if, if they're not choosing to hold themselves accountable. And the issue within the spiritual world is exactly what you're talking about, right? This kind of like, oh, it's so great you're here. Oh, it's a male. Oh, look, he's so sensitive because he's doing spiritual things. Oh, I love him. It's so nice. I'm like, cool. We're not doing that to females ever, you know? Well, I mean, equally, you just look at general society and when mm. a man loses his wife, say, to cancer, everyone's like, oh, let's make sure we invite him over for dinner and make sure he's got enough food. But when a, a woman loses her husband, it's not often to that same mm. extent. People don't need feel the need to mother a woman for, for losing her partner. And, and mm-hmm. sorry, that was pretty, like male female oriented I'm still learning about getting more PC but it, it does tend to happen like that yes it really yeah does. it is interesting and it is I mean it very much links to this topic right of awareness because it's coming from kind of so many generations and so much of our, our collective past and even collective trauma around this and the sort of the weird kind of imbalance of the pendulum doing this and it's like awareness is what brings us into the center right? To be able to have the sense of discernment and observation and just look at it and be like, actually, that doesn't sit right. Like, well, why am I doing this? Or why is that happening over there? And 
where do I stand? What are my values and how do I choose to act? You know, like, can I, like that woman was that, but there was, there could have been a different action. And a lot of times we've talked to these men and they want to be the, the best versions of themselves. But if no one ever says anything, or they the don't only, know. Like, or the only thing they say is praise. Oh yeah. my God, it's so amazing. Da, 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 da. And then of course the, it's going to go to the head. It's going to, it's going to inflate the ego. It's going to deflate their desire to do more practice. I have a theory, um, and, theory. and it kind of does generalize as we've been talking about um, males because we all know it's not all males, right? So, um, but the, the, there are types of people, the people who have a tendency to become the dickheads, get the big ego, um, look at me, look at me. Um, and then there's the other side who are humble and maybe not stepping into their power enough. So when you are complimenting me on my humility, I'm like, but is that just because I'm not stepping into my power as much as I could? <laughs> because that's what I, I play with. Well, you know, there's that fear of stepping into like being a true power potential. Um, yeah. So there's that kind of fine line of that balance of awareness that you're talking about um, and either kind of going a little bit heavy on on the kind of more egoic side um, and or the the other side and they probably both stem from exactly the same kind of insecurities um, yeah. deep down that we that we brought up with. 100% and such, such a good point, you know, like it, it totally is when it's just like I see people who are so confident and putting themselves out there and I'm like, oh, yeah, I could do that. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say to John that, but I have all of these, you know, skills and ability and exactly that thing, but I'm just kind of not doing it. And then, yeah, like how we justify it to ourselves and, and what it is. And it, it is a part of the spiral. Like it's so hard and maybe... Yeah, you know, when you're like that, you have to lean more into the ego and then there's all of this kind of cringe gripping factor because of what it represents at its most extreme. Um, it is very... Yeah, I can do it. I, I'll do it now and like be all loud and then the, oh, but I'm a bit scared. And, you know, how many years has updating my website been on the list of things? And I'll get some proper photos done. And then I get to the, oh, I've got time to get proper photos done. Cool. Okay. Make a plan. What what do I wear? I don't really know. Um, what do I want to convey? Oh, there's, all, there's so much to think about with this kind of stuff. Like, you know, like a lot of people, I imagine that many of your listeners are, are similar where they run a kind of a, a small business and they're practitioners of some sort but the mm. advertising and the marketing oh wow. <laughs> it gets like oh my gosh so right weird. and so oh, and I still haven't I haven't had yeah. the photos taken because I put on weight and then I didn't want to have the photos taken because um because I felt a bit fat so you know I put it off again <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I go back down? <laughs> or it's like, oh, we've done photos and then like the weight changes and I'm like, well, we need to do them again because I can't use the fat photo from before if now I'm skinnier than I was then. You know? maybe, like, okay, maybe I should just get onto it and, and yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I'm like, oh, well, my hair's long at the moment, but my, my all my promo pics, my hair's kind of like chin length because that was a couple <laughs> of years ago and, it could, and, and oh, it's more silver now, but do I really want to share that with the world? <laughs> <laughs> and that comes back to that like youth worship, worship culture and uh, mm. and the the midlife unraveling. And I do want to slot in unraveling midlife. The podcast was named after Brene Brown's essay called um, "The Midlife Unraveling." Mm, it it yes. is excellent. Mm. It, it is. I mean, she has a way with words, but it's she it's really it's does. too yeah. the midlife people. What I don't know back when it was email before social media, the quarter life crisis email mm. went around going, it's the quarter life crisis. And I think I got it at like 21 or 22. I'm like, yes. But I mean, I think life is a series of kind of what feels like crises until we gather that awareness to go, oh, it's just another crisis. Come along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the crisis part of the spiral. Cool. Cool. I mean, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, yeah. chop wood, carry water. Yeah. Also, Jack Cornfield, really good Buddhist teacher. He's got a quite oh, cool podcast himself. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the book that I got introduced to him by was called After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? The amount uh -huh. of moments you have on this path of just this euphoric, I'm amazing, it's, I'm so centered, you know, so grounded and centered. And then the next day it's the complete opposite. And the amount of conversations we've had with people and students who are just so 
confused, you know, they're like, but, but I did it all. And now I've gone backwards. We're like, not backwards. This, this is it. They're like, but for how long? I remember someone being like, is this just going to go on forever? I was like, yes. yes. I mean, I don't know. Right. Like I'm here still doing it. And they're like, no, but you're, you're spiritual. Aww. And I was like, not really. The same person then once we were there with a group of people and I was really angry and actually just bitching about my neighbors. I was pretty raging, you know, they, they'd called the council on us for consent on something as you do. Cause we live in a world where we were renovating our house and this just, I mean, we could have meditated every day, but that was stressful, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. and she, she said to me, she's like, I just, I just feel really like I don't know how to deal with you now because I thought you were spiritual, but you were so angry the other day at your neighbors. So you can't be spiritual. And I was like, no, I, or actually I think I was like, no, I'm, I'm not very spiritual. You know, like that's probably a better way to think of me to, to bring it down, you know, off that, that, that pedestal that you've created. It's like, I'm a very rage filled person. In fact, that's generally why I do practices so that I don't go around just murdering people. You know, I'm like, I'm filled with rage. And that's, that's an interesting thing, you know, on that journey as well of actually having to confront emotions and emotions are so messy you know it's not just this euphoric state of i'm in this blissful cloud of my lotus leaf it's like anger frustration irritation stages of grief and you go in this particular order and it always works that way and at the end of it you're happy (laughs) rage (laughs) frustration sadness (laughs) but people make a lot of money out of putting things in boxes and, uh, and, I mean, and telling people how it is. <laughs> I mean, coming back to Brene Brown, she is the queen of the list, like yeah. six things that blah, 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 seven things that, and she, but she has a massive way it. with words. Oh, we love to read. We love lists. We love boxes. Oh. We can't wait to get out of boxes, but we love putting oh, ourselves love in others in boxes. It's just what the human box? condition, right? I mean, Isn't it amazing? You go on, you know, you're scrolling on Facebook and it's like 10 reasons why you're having a spiritual awakening and you're like, oh yes, let me reason. Anything that used to start with a 10 reasons. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll read it, you know? <laughs> oh yes, that explains everything I'm now happy. Like. <laughs> <sighs> I know it's yeah. not 10 reasons, but there was something that we were um, saying before. Um, I know that we moved off the topic of Kirtan entry tradition versus modern but um but what, what, what struck me was um when when I came back from overseas and I got involved with people here who were doing what felt like very very traditional kind of Indian style west still western kirtan um I would get out my guitar because everyone played the harmonium and I'd get out the guitar and I'd start doing reggae beats and then we'd like have a really good time oh, doing nice. reggae beats oh, good. and um and that was like breaking out of the shell and then mm. the ketan scene changed as we've discussed mm. and then suddenly everyone was doing like you know they were doing the reggae beats and the rock <laughs> things and suddenly the kawaipura pura festivals went from having just kind of some more some very indian style an andamaga and a bit of shakti sacred music and and that was pretty much yeah, oh, and the um, Shabda, the, the Hare Krishna band from, from downtown, mm-hmm. there was like basically three. And then a few years later, there's like 20 Kirtan bands signing up to come <laughs> and, and play. And uh, and a lot of it's guitars and, and bass and, and kind of like quite rocky. And then I'm suddenly like, no, like where's the tradition? I have to do the traditional thing. I have to kind of counterbalance what's happening. Yeah. Um, and so then I became a little bit more traditional. And then I'm like, hang on, I kind of liked being the rebel. I'm not yeah. sure about this being the traditional. <laughs> I'm a traditional rebel. Yeah. A rebel traditionalist. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so then I kind of stopped doing quite so much kirtan so whereas you're encouraging listeners to come to my kirtan i, I better actually start scheduling some <laughs> <laughs> harass her is what we're trying to say yes i would i would totally that, agree yeah. totally agree yeah because <laughs> it is that thing that you know the scene changes and then you're sort of having to kind of sell something else it's like yes i am tra- traditional and i rebel in a different way to what they're doing over there you know it's yeah. like a whole um, and i'm not a man yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. 
It's fascinating, eh? I mean, yeah, I wouldn't... And I'm in midlife, you know? I'm, I'm a woman over 40. Yeah. Like, what hope is there for me? You left, you know? You just have to wait. <laughs> so much, Sarah, so much. <laughs> Do you just have to wait till you cross 60 and then you can come in as an elder? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> quite possibly, quite possibly. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true, though. It's like yeah. there's probably more You have to wait till older. all the hair goes grey and then you can come back in in a whole new way. Well, if I look at my mother, who's you know seventy one, I'm my she's still not all grey. So you know yeah. I might have to wait till ninety for that to come back. Oh God, okay, we'll see. Do you diet grey? Is that a thing? It is. Apparently. <laughs> Actually, people quite like they they. I've got a really nice Cruella Deville streak really just at my do. temples, um, yeah. and and some people go, "Wow, I really like that streak." I'm like, "Yeah, so do I." It's the other ones that are popping up all over the place that I'm really not that keen on. <laughs> you just need one place. This seems better. It has a youthful flair to it, you know. I've um, but then my friend uh, who's younger than me and said, "Oh no, I've I've been getting greys," and she had popped out a few. Um, few beautiful little boys recently to hair mascara you've got to do hair mascara and you know what it makes it stay down so anyone who needed that tip hair mascara never heard of it that's amazing you probably don't need it it yet different product or you just put mascara in your hair i have some grace i just can't remember yeah but your hair's light it's not dark like mine it is i could just find them yeah Mm. what am i 37 yeah so you know oh you're just coming to the midlife unraveling i'm coming to you bring me over what is what is the from the astrological perspective what are the constellations relationship to birth time what are the constellations you are looking for as the marker point so was so good question but i'm going to reframe the question for you Please because do, yes. um because western astrology which is the one i study doesn't technically use constellations it uses the um 30 degree segments 12 of them Ooh. around can't remember the word, but just kind of above the horizon. Um, yeah. And it's, they don't necessarily correlate to the actual constellations that they're named after. Right. Because, okay. you know, there's the people go, oh, but there's actually 13 signs and everything's moved. And yeah, that's um, so for Western astrology, it's that, <laughs> that the old the scientists who are the astrologers and the medical professionals, mm. um, that their observation from where the planets were at the time of birth in those particular areas related to different themes. So Mm. the transits, um, so the zodiacal signs uh, relate. So, for example, the quite generational Pluto uh, is the first one that comes up. Um, So between the ages of 35 to 39-ish for our generation, Pluto will come to 90 degrees from where you were born. And Pluto's kind of, it goes back and forth. Every year it kind of like appears to go backwards and then forwards. So it can take, you know, three or four years to move over that point that's 90 degrees to where it was when you were born. Um, So generationally, um, John, I'd say you and I, Pluto was in Libra. Nicole, it might still be in Libra. I don't know. I'd have to look up your chart. Um, So Pluto in Libra at a certain degree point means that Pluto's um, just finishing up in Capricorn. Um, So that's Pluto, uh, Libra to Capricorn is a 90 degree. It's called a square. So we call it Pluto square. So that can be quite big for some people. It was for me. Different generations, like my mother's generation, um, their Pluto square was a little but later it kind of all mm. went in with um with Uranus opposition which is another of of the big ones um where Uranus comes to 180 degrees so Uranus is currently in Taurus uh it was in Scorpio the opposite sign when I was born mm. um that's meant to be the big shake-up um mm. so when I was interviewing Karen Hunter her generation had Pluto and Uranus quite close together when she was born, so it was kind of like a double whammy <laughs> for them. Whereas, whereas for those going through it at the moment, it goes first Pluto, then Neptune square, which is Neptune, 90 degrees to where it was. Um, mm. And so that's, I'm coming towards the end of that. That can be kind of like a spiritual fog, which hopefully by now towards the end will be lifting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, the, then it'll be Uranus um, for me the Uranus opposition, and then there's a Saturn opposition, which doesn't tend to be too much of a big thing because you've just been through all these real powerhouse ones. So the the midlife crisis, that kind of classic go out and buy a sports car, that's generally around the time of the Uranus opposition. So that could be, it's generally 42. It does kind of depend 
I've been right quite here. fascinated with right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I've been quite fascinated with Uranus tends to go like really fast, and then it'll slow down, and it'll appear to go backwards, and it'll go backwards really fast. So um, I've got a friend three months younger than me who she has her Uranus opposition a year before me. I've got friends five years older, they've got the Uranus opposition two years before me. It's just, I find it quite fascinating just how the mm. planets move and yeah, the, there's me getting my astrology geek out again. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just out of us earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And I've also found it quite interesting. Like I've got a friend um, who's an incredible singer, um, Muriel, and I looked at her chart and, and just looking at different charts of the interplay between your birth of like the sun and Neptune and having a harmonious aspect there can really be um, musicians kind of have that. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, there's just really quite some quite fascinating, but it might not necessarily be the sun Neptune. Astrology is very much not an exact science. Yeah. <laughs> so do you like but if somebody was listening wanted to have their, you to look at their chart, do you do that? I would say that I'm probably, I'm at the stage where if I have someone's chart, I can probably look at it and just tell them some stuff for five minutes, but I don't mm. think I, at this stage, I could sit down and and do an hour with someone because it would probably take me four hours to prepare because I did actually start to do that as an example for, um, for mm. a friend to see how long it would take and what I would have to do. Um, so at this stage, I'm, I'm not really doing that. I can recommend mm. people though. There are some great people who've been working on it for a lot longer than me. It's one of those, you need to study it for quite some time. Yeah. But I'm more than happy to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like learning learning a language so that you can, you, you can read the symbols and their relationships a lot faster. We've had some done before yes. where the, um, the guy had oh, all, this stuff, David Hoyne. Yeah, yeah. all this stuff printed out and we were looking at it and like, how do you, how can you do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Make sense I guess it's a bit obviously. like, cause I learned Japanese and studied it at university and I've lived there a couple of times and it's easy enough to learn the alphabet, but, and that's only the, like the two basic alphabets, <laughs> not when you get into the Chinese characters as well, but then actually making sense of it all is, um, yeah. especially at any kind of pace. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when my dad was studying Korean, he was really into languages. <laughs> um, he was teaching me as well uh, as we sat there. I think I was at high school and he was about to go off to Korea and he was showing me these flashcards of the Korean script, which is so much easier than the Japanese script because it was all oh, wow. based on um, shapes of tongue and teeth and and oh, wow. S was always like if if a if it was a sa or a se, there would always be this would be the same mm. character or part of um, of the entirety of it. And Japanese was certainly not like that. No. <laughs> John learned Japanese. Yeah, as well, I studied. I studied high school. Yeah, it was the thing when we were in high school, right? Yeah, you learned Japanese. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my son is doing it right now. He's they 14, still teach it. That's that. awesome. Yeah. I mean, he was just offered to go to Japan for three years. It's yeah, crazy. Three yeah. years, yeah. Not something we're accepting. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it has its own challenges, especially for women. Mm. Mm. I mean, mm. I assume it's changed a little bit in the 20 years since I've lived there, but <laughs> mm. yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really love, we've really been all over the place. Yeah. And it was, um, Awesome. Awesome to hear parts of your story and the things that you're excited about and your journey. Um, I remember you doing Kirtan at Kawapurapura on the stage in the group, and it was very beautiful. So I hope <laughs> that wasn't on a pedestal. <laughs> no, Sarah. Just an equal stage where I was equally on the grass, not beneath, just, you know, alongside. And it was a sunny day. It wasn't that one where it was like raining and we we're trying to run the instruments out. Oh, my God. No, uh, I had nice weather. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I did so many of those KP festivals that they all do really kind of start to blur into one another. Yeah. 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 Those were the days. Those were the days. And we talk well, about we what like, future days will bring. Yes, we do like to close with your opportunity to kind of share final words plus anything you want to plug right now. And um, yeah, so the floor, Go on, stand in your the floor power. is yours. Stand in my power. Get my hair mascara <laughs> out. I don't think I used it today. Zoom's quite good like that, you know. 
be yourself, everyone. Come mm-hmm. to that place of acceptance, however hard that is and however much of a roller coaster it is. Um, you'll always come back and, it, and it'll be okay. Uh, and if you want to listen to any musings with various people, um, mm-hmm. please feel free to tune in to Unraveling Midlife. I do mm-hmm. share a bit of music. I'm challenging myself to share original oh. music. Uh, and sometimes I go, I don't know what I'm going to play. Um, I'm still trying to learn how to record effectively myself. So sometimes it's a challenge for me to just release something even though it's not perfect because otherwise I would never do anything. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But yeah, so tune on into Unraveling Midlife. I'm hoping I will get on YouTube soon. It's uh, it's on the podcast apps and on my website, www.sarahmarlowspence.com. And uh, I will make sure you know how to spell that. Um, yes, yes. The other you thing, all that info in the yeah, show. Yeah, the other, the other thing that I mentioned that you might not have had a pen to write down was the Dalian method, which is D-A-L-I-A-N, the Dalian method. Sounded yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, there's there's a couple of very late festivals um, in the autumn here in Aotearoa. I'll be making an appearance in some form or another at those, which may or may not have already been by the time you're listening. <laughs> and yeah, keep keep unraveling your life. Just don't be too hard on yourself. Right. That's for those people. <laughs> that's really for myself. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah. Yes, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's life. I often kind of joke around and go, oh, better luck next life. Um, But I I think we're talking about, you know, having that awareness. And I'm like, actually, I don't think next life's going to be less of a roller coaster necessarily. So better luck in between lives. (laughs) (laughs) Or or like on last Friday and Jupiter and Neptune had just kind of been, Jupiter had just kind of got, gone over Neptune and everyone's been talking about it for months in the astrology world that it's going to be big faith or like deep meditation. And I actually had the most amazing meditations and I thought, oh my God, how does it get better than this? Can I, what would it be like to have this every day? And, and then the next day I'm like, I can still feel the plug in the next day. I'm like, oh, an emotion came out. Can I still feel the plug in to the universe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take me back. Yeah. Uh, no attachment though, I, you know. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yes, it was so awesome you. to have you on. And yeah, we are eternally grateful. And uh, yeah, hopefully talk again at some stage. Yes, I'm sure we will. <laughs> Adios. You. The Radical Awareness Podcast. Podcast.